Welcome to the Digital Adoption Show by Watfix. We are the folks who practice and preach digital adoption and Watfix is one of the leaders in the space paving the way with hundreds of Fortune 500 customers worldwide. Through this podcast we bring to you industry leaders and influencers who define how learning, training, adoption, change and digital transformation should work in today's world. Tune into our discussions on how organizations tackle the different pain points, challenges and find the resounding solutions to the most interesting problem statements in the world of digital adoption. Now, here's our next episode. Hi everybody and welcome to the digital adoption show from Watfix. Uh, Watfix is a digital adoption solution that increases user productivity by helping users adopt new software and supporting those users throughout their life cycle of using that software. And the Digital Adoption Show brings you influencers and leaders in digital adoption. And we discuss how they have helped companies upskill their human resources, train them and help them make better uh, versions of themselves. I'm your host, Paul Toffis. Uh, I work at Watfix, and I'm head of EMEA Partners at Watfix. And our guests today are Kristen Wright and Myra Travin from our partner, Guidehouse. Guidehouse is a leading global provider of consulting services to public sector and commercial organizations. Myra from Guidehouse is a specialist learning solution consultant and an author of a book, And Kristen is a director at Guidehouse and a change management specialist who helps shape the Guidehouse change management methodology revision. Uh, Myra and Kristen, thank you to both of you for taking the time to help our listeners understand more about how you help the organisations you work with uh, at Guidehouse. You're so welcome, Paul. Paul. We're very excited to be here. We are. We're very excited to be here. Great. I'm really pleased to hear that. Um, so, so Kristen, can I start with you? Um, I mentioned um, that you help shape the revision methodology at Guidehouse, uh, and, under, and I understand it's a valuable human-centered design process for change management. Can you talk our listeners through and give them an introduction to the concept of revision and why it matters so much? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, when I came on the Guidehouse, I was very fortunate to be taken under the wing of two of our partners who actually developed the original revision methodology. And basically where they started from was that we know um, in change management that we need to um, convince people to do things a different way, right? That's the core sort of underlying theme of any change management. But we also know that traditional change management sort of starts on the assumption that everybody will always make rational decisions, that they'll see a piece of evidence, they'll say, oh, great, that's a wonderful idea, and then they'll go ahead and they'll do the change. But anybody who's been involved in change management at an organization or who has watched politics or anything else understands that people are not always rational, and there are a number of reasons that might affect why people uh, are or are not willing to embrace a change. Um, it might be, you know, social um, uh, social influences that are going on. It might be the history of change that they've experienced. It might be um, some information that they have that is not accurate. There could be any number of reasons why they aren't willing to change at the time. But we have to understand that and we have to be able to respond to it in order to get people to adopt anything that's new. And that might be 
um, you know, a new piece of budget software. It could be a new business process. It might be a new way of doing training, which would be something that would be more applicable here. But we have to understand what's holding them back. And so the revision methodology, um, while it is like many other methodologies, it's rec recognized by the Association of Change Management Professionals. It follows that same general five-stage framework that they recognize for any good change management methodology. It dives a lot deeper. And so it approaches it from where people are when they start the change and what they're going to need in order to make sure that they can actually embrace that change. You know, it's not enough just to communicate with them, but we have to do it effectively. And to do that, we build it on our core pillars, which are behavioral economics and human-centered design. So, you know, the human-centered design piece, making sure that we're working with our stakeholders, we're co-creating solutions so that they have that buy-in, that we're getting their opinions all along the way, and behavioral economics and behavioral science so that we really, again, understand what those drivers and hindrances are for change, that we're able to use things like Richard Thaler's nudge design in order to motivate our stakeholders. And overall, it's a methodology that we've had a lot of great success with. We're very proud of the work we've done using it to implement changes across um, both public and private organizations and to help them really achieve um, some, some notable improvements in how they do business. Uh, th that sounds great. And, and earlier on, when you were discussing um, the types of change, obviously you mentioned uh, you know, for instance, IT type change, but this applies to change across an organization. So even fundamental organizational change where um, um, maybe two departments merge uh, for, for whatever reason, it's, it's, it's change across the board. It's not just change in, in, you know, in the area that I work, which is IT. Absolutely. And something that I found in my career working in change management and, and before that working in adult learning is that sometimes the, the smaller things can, can be big. We used to have a saying back in academia that the fights are fiercest when the stakes are lowest. And so, um, you know, what we found with organizations is that making sure that we are sensitive to even though something might seem like a real obvious win or seem like something very simple, um, the way people perceive that change, you know, you know, say, uh, just changing how they interact with the office adjacent to the ID to work with them. And um, I understand that one of the one one of the parts of uh, revision is uh, is something called Nexus. Do you want to talk about Nexus? Sure, sure. I'll get us started on that at least. <laughs> So, Please. Yeah, I was just going to tie it quickly to revision. Um, and so, you know, with any sort of change management methodology, we're always trying to make sure that we um, are delivering the right kind of training and the right kind of support that our stakeholders need in order to embrace the change. And so that connection and also my own background, as I mentioned, I come from academia, was how I initially ended up working with Myra. And then, yes, I want to hand it over to her to talk more about Nexus. That's great. Hello. What I absolutely love about what Kristen just said is that, and we just found this out too, we did not know this, that we both had um, a background in rhetoric some of our most important mentors were in rhetoric, so we haven't even had a chance to chat about that, but we will. And I'll tell you one of the things that I love, Paul, before you even ask me the question. There is something special about Guidehouse, and it is that human-centered design 
sensibility. Um, I, I have to say that when I first, because I worked for other agencies similar to GuideHouse, but when I realized that GuideHouse really was uh, built on such important uh, values and ethical principles, I knew that I wanted to work there. And certainly my work with Kristen has only shown me that's even more important now. Great, thank you. Um, so, so um, Nexus, um, Nexus, why, yeah, you know, we why mentioned Nexus? it. Um, why okay. is it so important? What is it? Yeah. Okay, well, I think no one is surprised to hear that we are really at a crossroads between human intelligence and machine capability. So when you think about what people have got to do, what they will be required to do and required to learn in, let's say, the next five years, if you think about the specificity of a transition, I would say, from linear growth of human knowledge to the experiential growth. It's exponential and experiential, really, that kind of growth of machine learning and knowledge. We cannot, I would say, do this by ourselves. And Nexus is something that acknowledges that co-creative relationship between the tools we use and our own human intelligence. Because think about it. Um, knowledge, the knowledge curve doubling, uh, you know, it, it moves quicker and quicker and quicker uh, every two, three months, every month. And we're talking about billions and billions of pieces of information. It's like we are rowing in a boat, but what we need to be able to get across the ocean of that kind of knowledge retention and capability is, is something more like a, you know, something that will take us across an ocean. And that is the capability of Nexus between human capability and machine capability, having that relationship that allows us to look at learning in a new way. Because I, I suppose the, the most incendiary thing I could say is that I think that learning is obsolete. The idea of learning is obsolete. Okay. <laughs> now, what do I what do yeah, I mean what by, do you mean that? by that? I, I what do I mean by that? Yeah. <laughs> the way in which people learn based on traditional models and mental models is being upended by by digital influences, right? Digital adoption is totally upending that piece. So, if the way that we learn is obsolete, then obviously the tools that we are learning with. Uh, have to keep pace with what we are doing as well. Um, think about it, just having more and more and more information piled on me. And that's my book. You look at the cover of my book. It's me going, okay, stop. You know, tell me how to deal with this. Um, and that is what Nexus does. Nexus is a way that GuideHouse is saying, we're going to give you a change management stepped approach to new learning. Because everyone knows that it's here. We know that artificial intelligence is here. We know that machine learning is here. We know that these tools are available. But what, what Nexus does is it helps you understand and profit from that relationship and to help redefine what new learning actually is. So, so on, on, that, on that point, I mean, as you, as you were speaking, I was thinking very 
you know, futuristic, but you're saying it's here today. So are you saying that the future of work is now? It's not something that we're going to see. No, no. That's exactly correct. Don't you think this the same, Kristen? Like the future's here already. Uh, who was it that said that mm-hmm. the future is here? It's just not equally distributed. I think it's been um, suggested. A number of people have said that. Um, Absolutely, so, I one hundred percent agree with you on that. Uh, and you know, I, I think that our current climate with um, with COVID nineteen and the other changes that um, people have been forced to adopt and adopt in the workplace have only even expedited that more. Your dog so, agrees. The dog agrees. Well, uh, uh, that, that's, if, as long as the dog agrees. So, so, are there any examples that either of you can give us where Guide House, uh, at Guide House, where you've seen the power of Nexus and revision um, really deliver some uh, positive uh, outcomes for for the organisations that you work with? God, there are so many, and I'm going to give. Kristen, a, a chance to answer that uh, carefully, but uh, I will say any time that we start to look at high-volume projects, for example, hundreds of changes in um, documentation, hundreds of changes in policies and procedures, the way in which we need to implement a new system, all of those kinds of things that are requiring us to be able to move with them in real time. That's where Guidehouse carefully uh, dis- dissects the needs that exist in those systems and matches new learning tools. Now we are vendor agnostic, but we are excited to partner um, when you know whenever the opportunity exists for us with someone like Netflix, or excuse me, um, Webex, because it's that idea that when when there is so much change that has to happen immediately, we simply as human beings cannot learn that quickly. We cannot respond that fast. And that is, and Kristen, you may want to talk about a specific example of that um, without, of course, we can't really say in the ways because we're in the middle of projects that are, uh, that are large uh, being implemented right now. But it's that idea of bringing that relationship between tools that allow us to move quickly along with the, the thing about human-centered design that's so important. Absolutely. And yeah, to go into a little bit more detail, um, you know, one kind of broad example that I can give um, without uh, disclosing any of our specific clients, you know, we do a lot of ERP type of implementations um, along with business process reengineering and change management and all of those good things. And so, you know, working for one large government organization in particular um, and helping them to adopt a new methodology, a new system, um, new ways of doing a lot of their business at during this COVID crisis. And this is a government agency that was very highly impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, you know, as we have worked with them, we've had to really think carefully around how do we drive adoption of these new systems and processes while also acknowledging the stress and strain that's already on the organization. And so something to think about, especially 
with, you know, Nexus or, or any of these training capabilities or systems or enhancements that there's sort of a two-pronged need for change management in them, meaning that um, if I am trying to teach people a new training software or new training system or helping them just to learn how to do training online, if they're used to have having been in person until that point, then I have to uh, approach that as a smaller change that happens before I can even teach them about the new system or process that they need to learn in order to do their jobs. And so, you know, the, this organization that I'm thinking of, we had to make sure that we rolled things out and using the best um, new technology that we could to support them and make sure that they um, could be moving toward mastery and making the best use of their time as they were undergoing these training activities, but also being sensitive to you know, not adding stress onto them by trying to get them to do the the most incredible new technology at the same time that we were trying to make other changes to their organization as well. As well, Kristen, I, I you're 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 bringing back um, nightmares of a period that I went through many years ago, where I worked for an organization that was going through drastic change. There was. Uh, organizational change, departmental change. Um, so we were, you know, as employees, we were constantly having to cope with new things. Um, and at the same time, they decided they needed to transform a number of the business applications that we used. Um, and and it, I just, what, from what you were just saying, it just brought back a flashback. It felt like being bombarded with uh, with tennis balls, and you were trying to bat them <laughs> back and deal with them without being hit. Um, so I know exactly uh, what you're speaking about. You know, and so many of us have that experience. Oh, you know, it's, it's universal. And just to connect, you know, Myra was talking a moment ago about how we're learning more and more. The the rate of knowledge that there is to learn is increasing sort of exponentially where, the, you know, the knowledge that there is is doubling. Um, you know, I, I don't even know what the number is now, but it's much faster than it used to be. The rate of change is also increasing right. where people have to adopt more and more. And it's so stressful and takes so much of their, their energy and it's it's just not sustainable I guess is the best way to say for us to learn in the way that we have been without digital adoption but yet using so many digital tools and post-covid is such a good example we all went to you know virtual environments all at the same time I mean it's really an astounding thing that happened to us Um, and it required us to all change all at the same time. So if that, if learning in the way that we do it today is not sustainable, right? It is that, I suppose the best thing you can say is that Nexus is a way to partner with digital solutions to enable performance because we cannot, as I said, with our little rowboat, you know, we are just not going to keep up with that rate of change. So is, is that what you think is the future of learning? Um, at the- because of the right I change. do. I do. And that I'm careful to say, as you, as you mentioned before, what is the future of learning? Well, I think everybody in L&D departments all over the world and, you know, and above them who are trying to choose systems and tools realize that they're not 
quite getting what they need to do by continually giving people more content so that they will, quote, learn it so that they will perform it. Look at that's the cycle I'm talking about that I think is it's kind of obsolete. Now, when you look at a digital adoption platform, it does not require you in the same way to, if you want to use the word learn, it does not require you in the same way to learn something, but it provides you the opportunities for the information you need when you need it so that you can use it quickly. You see the difference? That's what I'm talking about. That's what that kind of digital machine learning, artificial intelligence can do. It can provide you uh, electronic performance support at the point of need without you saying, how am I going to remember or learn, quote unquote, everything that I need to know to get to the next level? And oh, by the way, it's going to change next month. Oh, and it's going to change the month after that. That's what I mean about learning as we know it today is not sustainable. We just can't add that many more e-learning courses to people's, you know, LMS and expect them somehow to be able to keep up with that level of learning. So, so one of the things that I've, I mean, I'm not a learning specialist. I sell digital adoption tools, and uh, but I'm not, a, I wouldn't call myself a learning specialist. But one of the I, things that I've heard mentioned by you know, some of the partners that I work with, like yourselves, is something called the the, the forgetting curve. Um, right. What, what is it, and um, what are some of the strategies uh, to to help learners overcome the curve? Well, uh, one of the things I can say about the Abbott House uh, forgetting curve is that it is very clear that without interventions where we get refreshed, where that information either gets used or put into a context or refreshed for us. Uh, the, you know, <laughs> the amount that we actually retain can be very, very low. Mm. Uh, so, so what I would say is, but we've known about this for a very long time. What we haven't had was the ability for those kinds of tools to co-create with us an atmosphere where we get information when we need it, we are helped through a process when we need it, and we do not put all of that um, load upon our own brains to remember amounts of material that we simply are not going to be able to do, not without the um, the help of these kinds of tools. And, and Myra, again, just to kind of um, make that real in my mind, I, I go back to the time when um, the company that I worked for uh, was changing CRM systems. And um, there were 110,000 sellers that were using one CRM system, and we were transitioning to a completely different system. And obviously, they they rolled that out to users in phases. Um, mm -hmm. When it was my time, I was one of 60 people taken into a room for half a day, shown slide after slide. Right, how right complete stuff in this particular CRM right. system. You got it? Did you get it, Paul? Do you get well, it? No, you three weeks it? later, I was given a login. <laughs> this is your username and password, Paul. I know. Uh, go, go and be productive. Go and be productive. Well, you know, if the Ebenhouse Forgetting Curve talks about 
uh, rapid memory decline in 24 hours, you can see what happens in that case, in that scenario. And I call it this, and Kirsten laughs at me when I say this, but I call it delusions of competence. Sometimes we create learning either complete ecosystems, environments, courses, content, you know, whether you break it up into micro lessons or not, but we just kind of think that if we just give people this much content and let's distribute it, so we put it in an e-learning, that we believe that they will be competent. So that's why we're not talking about learning. We're talking about mastery. Myra, I'm so glad you brought that up because the thing for me about the forgetting curve is always the context and helping people to understand that if we try to have them learn in a vacuum, then we're setting them up for failure. And Paul, you know, that example you just gave, I would be willing to guess that they didn't do the best job during all of that, you know, death by PowerPoint they put you through of showing you the, the why you should care and how this is going to affect your day to day and like really connecting it to something tangible for you. And so I think that that is a risk that we take with any sort of, with any learning, but I think it's exacerbated by some of the, you know, the online learning that we've moved to is that, you know, we've all had the experience or most of us have probably had the experience now of going through a day of, you know, mandatory company training. And it feels so disconnected from our real experiences and from our real work that it's really not setting us up to remember it. But if we can connect to what we are doing, if we can connect it to our experience and our actual needs, then our brains are much more primed in, to actually retain that and, and to move toward the mastery that Myra is talking about, where it's not just a fact that I can tell you, but a fact that I can apply and use and build on. Oh, it's so true. And, you know, I'm going to just sneak in here quickly, Paul, to say context. That's what digital adoption does best is it shows us in the tool that we are in what it is we are trying to do. And once we understand that contextually, it tends to move into the long-term memory much faster. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, this goes back to something that Kristen said very early on in our discussion, which is one of the reasons that people are resistant to change. If they can't see the reason why they're having to do what they're having to do, then they'll think to themselves, why, why should I bother? Um, uh, but if, if, if you focus on, on an outcome or an objective that matters to you, that means something to you, you're, you're going to be far more engaged and you will uh, bother. It's true. And what I would say, if you're sitting here listening to this podcast and thinking, okay, I, I run an L&D department, I do this, and now, how am I supposed to get to what you are talking about? You know, maybe I acknowledge the fact that people really are being overloaded with the kind of learning models that we are using right now. But it's it's the kind of the best that I can do is just to consider to continually turn out the e-learnings. So that is, I think, where Nexus and revision mostly because we're saying, okay, the truth is is the future of learning is already here. The truth is that we. We think that people are competent when they're not. And what we can do is help to carefully step you through that process. Kirsten, am I saying that in a way that makes sense? Yep, I completely agree. Great. Um, I'm just just conscious of time, and I don't want to uh, move on 
uh, with Myra without mentioning your book. I mean, I, I've mentioned it, um, and, I, and and so I'm sure our listeners would love to know more. So, so we've come across your book, and it's called School of You. you. Stop the Overload. Yeah. Become a Gorilla Learner and Change Your Life. Yeah, uh, I'm sure our listeners would love to learn more about about it and and how it can be used for for organisational goal goal setting. Well, School of You came about, I mean, it was published in 2016. I'm working on an up, but the whole idea was kind of to let people know that most learning happens informally. You cannot depend just on your school, your corporate organization. You really have to become what I call a guerrilla learner. You have to take the responsibility on yourself to go and get what you need when you need it. And this is what's exciting about, you know, working with GuideHouse is I think they believe in some of the same principles that the value of the individual, the, the innovation of the individual is something that, that really can add to their own learning experience. So um, I would say, uh, Become your own learning curator. If if I was to get hit by a bus in the next 10 seconds, that is what I would say. Become your own learning curator. And of course, um, I believe in this idea of contextual and augmented learning because it's, you know, it's the place that's really going to take you to the, you know, horizons that I don't think people think are possible if you mm. do that, if you make that decision. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, we're coming to our rapid fire round um, where I'll ask, uh, I'll ask each of you uh, a question and just, just say whatever comes to mind. So, and um, who, who, who wants to go first? Actually, so I tell you what, I'll ask, I'll, I'll ask each of you the same question and we'll move on and I'll ask each of you the second question. So okay, this will be fun. This will be fun. So, Kristen, I'll start with you. Um, so when you think of e-learning, what is the first word that comes to mind? Social. And can I provide a little bit of context around uh, yeah, the answer? When I, think when I, I say little, the first I'm word, dying, yeah, please, some, some context to it as well, yeah. Yeah, so it comes out of our conversation from a few moments ago, actually, where we were talking about the forgetting curve and the context around how we learn. And so my answer of social is perhaps a little bit more aspirational than what we always see with e-learning now. But, you know, and, and this comes out of my time as a professor, but I think that the conversations that we have around what we're learning are so important to helping us to remember um, that information. And so something that I really am excited to see in some new e-learning technologies and that I hope I see a lot more of are that social aspect so that mm -hmm. it's not, again, just a, a module that we click through, but something that we are seeing how to apply it. We're able to talk to our coworkers about it and mentor each other and have these conversations because I think that's really going to help drive that next level of mastery. Great. Great, great question. Great answer because I, I've, I've, I think I'm a social learner and a social planner. Um, I don't learn or plan well in isolation. So uh, great, great answer. Uh, Myra, what would you say? Well, it's three words. Okay. <laughs> and, of course, e-learning has changed since COVID, right? We're all doing hybrid learning. We're doing a lot more events that are happening in real time. We're, we've all changed our 
e-learning um, to coincide with things like Microsoft Teams that are requiring us to do a lot of things on many different levels. We're not just sending emails anymore. We're doing a number of kind of multitasking situations. But e-learning in general always reminds me of the Muppet movie. <laughs> it's a terrible thing to say, but where the um, where the Muppet talks about space bar, space bar, space bar. Do you remember that? That is what e-learning is like to me because... I always feel a little constrained by it. Of course, I wrote a book about being a guerrilla learner. Um, I always feel a bit constrained, like it doesn't understand what I need specifically. That's why I love digital adoption tools because they start to learn who I am and what I need and how I can be successful. So I guess maybe constrained if I had to put it in one word. Constrained. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, I'll ask another one uh, to each of you. Um, so, in the next in in the next midterm, let's say five to ten years, um, what do you think is one skill that you believe will shift that learning trend? And we'll go we'll go with Kristen first again. Sure. So, I think um, for me, it would be cross pollination. So um, I think the big shift that we're going to see is moving away from silos and specialties and thinking about learning individual tasks and skills and really looking at learning more holistically or as part of a learning system so that people are better equipped to build um, broader understanding and do kind of that deep, creative, critical mm -hmm. thinking that can't be replaced by AI, because I know that's another big topic that we could spend a whole other podcast talking about. But, you know, the, the rise of AI and people's anxiety around their jobs and, and how um, that will impact them. And so I think, you know, again, this more complex type of learning and these learn cross-pollinated learning systems are going to be, that's going to be the big skill of people's ability to step out of their silos and think more broadly. Great, thank you. And, and Myra, your thoughts? Uh, I think it is integration, which is why I developed Nexus. That idea that taking what people do really well and also what machines, machine learning can do to help us uh, and support us, that co-creative relationship to me, that back and forth, the place where technology meets people and understanding that and utilizing it well to me is what's going to happen. The people who are successful, if, if I was saying in 2016, the people who are successful are going to be guerrilla learners, I'm saying that the next step from up from guerrilla learning is understanding how to have a co-creative relationship with digital um, adoptive tools and anything having to do with that whole area of machine learning, knowing it, not just thinking, oh, well, I'll get there, but really seeking it out to see how you can become good at it. Okay. I, and, and I think you've partly answered my next question, but I'll ask it anyway. So this, this will be the kind of the final question. And again, I'll start with Kristen. So, uh, and we ask, this is a question we ask all our guests. Um, so a, a word or a phrase that comes to your mind about digital transformation and adoption. Kristen. 
Yeah, I, th- I think crucial is sort of the, the first word that pops to mind. Um, you know, as we've been discussing, these changes are happening. The future of learning is here. And so we have to start being better adept at, at using these technologies, at seeing um, how the tides are shifting and how we can bring them into the work that we do. Great, thank you. And Myra? I'm going to say bingo to that, but I'm going to also say in the workflow. Any learning that happens outside the workflow is something that can degrade and is in danger of, um, of becoming obsolete pretty quickly. Right. So I'm always looking for anything that happens in the workflow, whether it's informal or technology mediated. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Well, um, thank you both, uh, for your time. Um, how can either of you be reached by our listeners if they have any questions, any specific questions or asks? Um, if they want to find out more about Guidehouse, how can how can you, you be reached? Do you want to go with email addresses, Kristen? Yeah, email. sure. Yeah. So I, I think yours is the same as mine, but yeah, first it initial is. last name <laughs> at guidehouse.com. Yep. So, first initial last name. Um, yep. Great, great. And, you know, um, thank you. Thank you for, you know, your, your time and, uh, and for helping our, uh, our listeners understand more about uh, Guidehouse, more about, um, you know, the future of learning. Um, I really appreciate that. Um, and for our listeners, if they, if they wish to find out more about digital adoption, they can head over to, to uh, whatfix.com. Um, thank you all for listening. Um, and we, we look forward to bringing you our next instalment of the Digital Adoption Show very soon. Thanks, Paul. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.